0: Good morning. It's good to be with you again. There's a lot of procedures you got to go through uh, before you get started. Uh, Merry Christmas again. Uh, If you're in person or on YouTube, we're really glad that you're with us worshiping. Um, if you're new to North Cross, uh, maybe you're just visiting in town, or maybe you're looking around for a church, regardless, we'd love to meet you, and we hope to get to know you. And a couple ways to do that, if you're online, you can email at uh, sid at sid.northcrosschurch.com, that's me, or at info.northcrosschurch.com, at um, or, and there's also, if you're in person, there's a welcome table, um, and, you know, grab a mug. Uh, maybe you're like me and you broke your mug. There's other, another mug right there, too. You can just grab one as well. Um, so and then there's also a sign-up if you'd like to hear from us and and get the e-newsletters news, e as well as the e-bulletin. Well, and those of you who are here again, we're really glad to gather, and there's something really appropriate about gathering together um, the day after Christmas as well as Christmas Eve to really celebrate what the season and this holiday is about. And I just want to say, we've officially made it through Advent. Um, we are on the other side of Christmas. And I said this depend- it's earlier, but depending on how you count, it's either the first or the second day of Christmas. Um, and really what we're doing is we're celebrating Jesus' birth, Jesus the Christ, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Savior of the world, God come to us in fragile baby form, an infant so tender and so mild. And to celebrate Christmas, we're going to look one last time together at Luke chapter 2, a different section of it than we looked at it on Christmas Eve, because by way of reminder, we're looking at Um, that combination of when people kind of tremblingly encounter uh, God's message and messenger, usually an angel, and then the way that they respond to that in song. But this one's really interesting. This Sunday, we're gonna look at the shortest song in the the gospel of Luke chapters one and two, but it's the most explosive song. It's sung not by the person, the shepherds who received the message, but by the angels themselves, a heavenly chorus. And so we're gonna look at that together. But before we look at what the angels sang uh, how it, and how it changed the shepherds and how it can change us, would you go with me to God um, and pray with our, for our time together in God's words to us this morning. Let's pray. Father, um, we do thank you. We do thank you for the opportunity to celebrate. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity to confess the ways that um, that can be difficult this time of year for some of us, or most of us maybe even. And at the same time, I'm, I'm thankful for the opportunity that you call us to something bigger than ourselves. Uh, bigger than the ways that we feel, the ways that we think. Um, and that you meet us where we think and feel. That you don't leave us there. And I pray that this time and this, this several moments together, that you would meet us with your word and we'd be changed by it that you, Jesus, would be high and lifted up. You'd be more believable and beautiful to the eyes of our hearts. And Lord, would we see you? Will we behold you in your glory and your peace? And would it make us want to be more with you and to love others in your name? We ask this in your name, Jesus, amen. So a few weeks ago, I did something I haven't done in a long time. I turned on the radio, To a news station on the weekend. Um, I think I actually cringed when I heard the announcer on this news station uh, tee up a story about COVID 19. And I very nearly turned off the radio at that moment. Uh, But I didn't. And just because I mentioned that word, COVID, uh, I'd ask that you don't tune me out right now, too. Because I know we're tired. Uh, Because I actually think there's something to learn. This radio story. Um, I heard wasn't just about COVID. It was actually about how the stories we're used to shape our expectations for how our lives should go. And that's what we're gonna look at this morning. And what kept me listening past the word COVID on that weekend uh, was that I heard a clip of a talk that I had actually once attended in person way back in high school. And it was by this put out cynical older man with a giant mustache and a kind of wrinkled brown business suit, and his name was Kurt Vonnegut Jr. Anyway, this grumpy and sort of famous old man, Kurt Vonnegut, was explaining what makes for a wildly popular story, the kind we watch or tell or read over and over and over again. And Kurt Vonnegut did this by drawing a quadrant, a basic sort of T um, kind of chart on the with a y-axis that was like from bad to good fortune. The bottom of the line is like bad fortune, you know, like sickness, poverty, loneliness. And then all the way to the top was good is like good fortune, like, you know, um, good wealth, good health, uh, true love, uh, lovely friends and family. And then the x-axis is just simply from beginning to end um, of the beginning of the story to the end of the story. Okay, has everyone kind of got that visual? it would be important. Okay, then Vonnegut uh, charts a few of the most popular storylines on that plot, he plots them on that graph. There's the man in the hole story. Okay, we know this story, maybe by different names. Someone gets in trouble, they fall in a hole, and then they get out of trouble, they get out of the hole that simple. The whole is more complicated depending on the story. And so drawn an X, Y axis that just looks like a big check mark, right? Life starts off fine and then goes bad and then rebounds and swoops up to where it was and sometimes even better than it was. Okay. It's a giant check mark. And then apparently there's over 6,000 Hollywood scripts that follow that pattern. It is a highly profitable story. (laughs) Okay. And then Vonnegut graphs, a boy gets girl, loses girl, then gets girl backstory. We all know this one too, right? You know, average day, average person finds something wonderful, someone wonderful, and falls in love, right? It's too good to last though, and the boy does something dumb usually, and then loses the girl and then, or the fantastic pet or whatever, okay? And there's this heartbreak until the last five minutes of the movie, and then the girl and the boy get back together somehow, and they're even more in love than they were, and all of a sudden, it's just uh, happy ever after. And Graft, this story looks like a sideways S, right? Neutral, up to happy, down to sad, back up to happy, and maybe even more than happy. (laughs) right? an upside, A sideways S, okay? So you're going, what is the point of this? So somehow you've managed to combine um, graphing calculators and English lessons into one sermon. I'm falling asleep. Why go through the major plot lines of stories? And what does this have to do with the coronavirus or actual lives again? Well, all of this matters because whether it's a check mark shape or a sideways S pattern, all of these stories have only one major turn of fortune. Did you notice that? They only go bad to good once. But if you graph the narrative plot line of COVID-19, think about all of that talk early on about flattening the curve, okay? All of a sudden you start to graph it on Vonnegut's good bad fortune axis, and over time, there'd essentially be three major turns of fortune, right? The disease, each variant starts off good or neutral and then takes us down to bad health with high numbers of infection, um, and then rebounds to better health and lower numbers, right? Only for another variant to take over, we're on Omicron, by the way, it's a lot of Greek letters, Um, to start the dip back to health, bad health, fortune again, and so higher numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And that's where we are. And I could go into the nuances of how each COVID variant has their own sort of up and down pattern, more than one wave maybe, arguably more than one dip from good to bad fortune, but you know, we're all just really tired. We're exhausted about this, aren't we, in some ways? It's exhausting, not just from a healthcare and a social gathering perspective, it's exhausting emotionally because it's an exhausting storyline In that radio story I mentioned, they interviewed a public health expert, a fellow from Harvard, her name was Rachel Pilch Loeb, Loeb, and she confessed that maybe health officials and the media had lost the plot somewhere. This perception that the vaccines were the savior in the story, right, our expectations of it were not realistic, because the reality is that there's no panacea, no cure-all for a pandemic. In other words, we wanted COVID to be the hole, right? That we would be rescued from one time. And we just seem to keep falling in the same differently shaped hole over and over again. Or we wanted to maybe it's more realistically, we hoped that the vaccine would be like that honest confession or tearful scene at the end of the movie that got the girl and the smiling, or maybe just the smiling Labrador retriever came home and then it made life heavily ever after or maybe life back to normal again, at least. And I fear we've actually lost the plot and things that are bigger than COVID-19. I'm, su- I'm specifically thinking about our spiritual lives, right? If you call yourself a Christian here, or maybe you don't feel comfortable with that label and you're just kind of looking in on what Christians believe, we can all labor under false plot expectations. We can think, spiritual high or conversion moment, and boom, life gets better all the time from now on. The spiritual life shaped like a check mark. A tough spot, but then an endless rush of good fortune and good feelings. Or maybe we think, yes, pains and screw ups, they can come back. I can do them again, but once I hit bottom, God shows up to rescue me and then the heartache and the sins, have got to be gone for good. And life happily ever after or at least life back to normal. And so it's worth asking, how are we mentally storing all this? How do we live in light of those kinds of times where God does show up? with this kind of glorious intervention. And then how do we live after that? How do we go back to ordinary daily grind or even suffering when we've experienced that kind of extraordinary? Or maybe just take today. How do I get through another day after Christmas day? <laughs> what do I do when, I, when what I looked forward to for over a month and listen to music maybe well into October, Christmas music, what I do when that thing I looked forward to is somehow behind me now. Our passage this morning in the Gospel of Luke gives us a differently shaped plot line to follow, to live our lives by. The Christmas shepherds teach us how to navigate the extremes of life, a life that has more than one turning point from good to bad back to good. In Luke chapter two, we see shepherds wonder at God's glory in the highest. And then they do this really strange thing. They return. Having heard and seen that kind of glory, they return to the demands of daily life. So first let's look at verses 13 through 14 and that private one-time event, the glory show. Second, we're going to look at just verses 15 and 20 out of this whole passage. We're going to look at what glory does to a body or how these shepherds are changed and how we can be changed by God's glory, but still live surrounded by the same old. If you'd like to follow along, that outline is um, projected behind me perhaps, uh, but certainly in your e-bulletin. So you can look there and follow along. Let's begin with verses 13 and 14, the beginning of the passage. And we're going to look at the one-time private show of God's glory. If you were with us on Christmas Eve or if you're just familiar with the story uh, about the shepherds, you know the appearance of an angelic praise choir in verses 13 and 14. It, it's sudden, but it has some context. It has some background that attends to it. In the middle of a field, somewhere between outside of Bethlehem, there were some shepherds, right? And we can imagine that they were likely young teenage boys. And we can imagine them acting all tough And piling on the least guarded comments, like giving a hard time to the nicest people who make those comments because they can. And those late night hours, maybe they were just tired and they weren't speaking at all. And likely enough, if they did speak, they were just complaining uh, about their sheep or their families while secretly missing their families because they're out on their own with the sheep. Or maybe they're thinking about their romantic chances, which seems slim because they're socially unacceptable shepherds. There they were, breaking apart sticks, throwing pieces of those sticks one by one into a field full of half-chewed grass and watchers step sheep pies. And it was into that field that boom, boom, the shepherds saw and heard what they could never ever unsee or unhear. First, one angel came to give the Jesus birth announcement. Born this day in the city of David, a savior, who is Christ the Lord. And then that was followed up by a birthday sip and see invite, right? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger, come see him. And most of us know, maybe firsthand, what a big deal that first birthday party is (laughs) as a parent. And God was laying out all the stops. But before the shepherds can even say a word in response to this invite, Verses 13 through 14 happen. And suddenly there was with the the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And I just want to point out what might be like super obvious. Sometimes I have to do that. That the sight and sound of a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God would have been simultaneously overwhelming and glorious. These shepherds would have been caught up in what felt like a wind tunnel of thousands of angelic wings furiously beating, singing at the top of their lungs between heaven and earth, between the night sky and the dewy pasture below. And in this in between middle space, there, that sort of in betweenness and that middle space matches our passages, that song's message. It's the highest, most extraordinary spiritual truth put to this most ordinary physical world. God's promise is to meet our most human hopes, and here they are completely fulfilled. Jesus is the Messiah, He is the chosen one that we've been waiting for our entire lives. Jesus is the Savior. the the person who's come, God come down to fix what's broken, to rescue us from ourselves and from our miseries. And Jesus, the ideal meets the real. The light of hope floods the darkness of cynicism. But how? It's the new, what new thing is being praised by these angels? In Jesus, God's glory in the highest has come. God's glory is joy unspeakable. It's what satisfies. It's what lasts. It's what keeps on going and going. It keeps on increasing and increasing. And it's in the highest. That means it's everything you want, but nothing you could possibly expect. And on earth, peace and goodwill. Or God's favor. That's the best translation. The oldest translation is the best translation of that passage. Wrapped up in God's glory, the promise is fulfilled of God's peace. It's peace we're all looking for, it's a direct answer to our most human yearnings. We want and we get lasting, eternal love and recognition. You matter. I matter, we matter to Jesus. But I want you to notice something that's so obvious we can read right past it. The angel's song is about glory and peace that like the multitude of angels has come from heaven and invaded this world. That is glory and peace are imported into this world. Like God's glory and God's peace are not natural to a fallen earth. They're supernatural from a perfect heaven. True glory and true peace do not come from within you. They don't come from you or from me at all. True glory and true peace come from God. They come from outside of us. They come unto you and unto me. And you say, All God's people said, so what? Hmm? So what? Well, aren't you tired, especially in this season, of trying to manufacture your own peace to make it mindfully happen and then try to make that feeling or reputation stay put for us? I remember um, when my wife and I uh, well, I should say my wife, we say, I, I, I was not pregnant, my wife was pregnant with twins, and we were in New Mexico, and there was this well-meaning but wouldn't take no for an answer woman in the church that I attended there who taught Lamaze classes, <laughs> you know, shallow breathing technique that women use when they're in the excruciating pains of labor. Anyway, um, we weren't super interested, but we caved. Uh, and this woman had both of us over on the weekly to teach us how to do Lamaze. And I'll never forget one particular lesson. She was very into reenactment and into putting herself in the scene. And so there's one particular session when Tier and I were supposed to be pretending that we were at that moment and she was giving birth and I was trying to coach Tier in this certain breathing pattern that Lamaze has and while also getting her to relax and to release the kind of muscles that were tightening up. And this older woman, our Lama's coach, I'll never forget it, she stood over both of us and while we're trying to do this, and she was yelling at the top of her lungs, release, release, relax, relax. And I thought, oh, And I, I couldn't, I, as you can imagine, we were like just, we looked at each other like, is she serious? <laughs> and then we realized she was deadly serious. And we just got super stressed out. And we didn't get looser, we got tighter, and we got more stressed out. Less relaxed. And I think sometimes this is how Christians can be with the good news, right? Of God's glory and God's peace. We treat peace as like a teaching to master or memorize. A program to do. Advice to follow like a recipe. And we do this when peace is not up to us. It comes from God. And all we do is rest in it. We forget that glory and peace came to shepherds minding their own business. Not even trying. Not even on the lookout for it. So in our stress, we could sometimes yell at ourselves and others, peace, peace. In our boredom, we can sometimes yell to ourselves and at ourselves and at others, glory, glory. And this is what led J. Gresham Machin. Uh, who was this theologian, but he was surrounded by all these do-gooders in Christianity in the, in the beginning of the 20th century. They had just reduced Jesus to a code of ethics, whether it was avoiding the world or making the world a better place. And Machen, in his desperation, wrote this. What I need, first of all, is not exhortation, but a gospel. Not directions for saving myself, but knowledge of how God has saved me. Have you any good news? That is the question that I ask of you. See, he mentioned knew that where the most eloquent counsel fails, the simple story of events succeeds. The lives of men and women are transformed by news. In other words, we are changed by the stories of events, not advice, not statistics. And the most powerful story. The best news ever is God's glory and God's peace come in a baby named Jesus. And so the question becomes, are we telling ourselves and we telling others this gospel story? Or are we just feeding ourselves and feeding other people well-meaning facts and advice, sometimes raised to the top of our lungs? Personal experience tells us all that the medical, what well, the medical doctor turned theologian, David Martyn jones said, and he's absolutely right, we know it because we feel it, we are constantly talking to ourselves, aren't we? We have this like nonstop voice in our heads that we're just dying to stop sometimes, that evaluates our every move and everyone else's move before, or during, or after any given event, so the question becomes, what kind of story are we feeding our internal monologue? And then further, what kind of story are we feeding other people's internal monologue? And if we graft that story in our lives, what shape would that story take? These are just some of the questions that rattle around, I'm guessing, inside the shepherds' minds and hearts as they experience the story of God's glory and peace, first told to them and then sung over them. And that's our last point. If we were to summarize their questions and ours, we might put it in this language of our sermon's outline, our second and final point. What does God's glory do to a body? What does God's glory do to a body? Well, according to verse 15, the story of God's glory makes us curious, right? When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There's something holy about curiosity, isn't there? I mean, we make jokes about it. We warn against it jokingly, like, you know, you know, curiosity killed the cat. Curiosity is is like this incredible motivator. It's behind kind of our greatest scientific achievements. It's the reason that so many of us can keep at something. If we can get curious enough, we can keep at that job. We can keep at that relationship. But curiosity takes such humility. We have to be learners. We have to be teachable. We have to sometimes ask scary, potentially life-changing questions. Perhaps this is why so many stories behind people, like these shepherds, behind people's conversions to Christianity involve simple, persistent curiosity. I remember sitting in the back of a 15-person passenger van after a soccer game after I'd heard the gospel for the first time in my entire life in a college. And I wondered, what if Jesus exists? Why not? Could it be? Is there there a kind of peace and joy like that in a person? What then? Perhaps you've had this kind of experience. Maybe someone spoke about Jesus, you understood it finally what's been done for you from his birth in a manger to his death on a cross to his resurrection from an empty grave and you believed in Jesus maybe for the first time, maybe more fully than you ever had before. Or maybe God showed up in some sorry, self-pitying scene in your life and it felt like a multitude of the heavenly host praising God over you. Or perhaps what you saw or thought you saw was an answer to a desperate prayer. And it was more underwhelming, maybe. Maybe, But it was uncanny, it was unforgettable. Something like a baby lying in a manger. It could be even smaller but no less important and you felt a peace surpassing all understanding when you heard it. Or you saw it in a series of impossibly unfolding events with breathtaking beauty of an almighty God. Verse 20 is asking us all, now what? Now what? What do we do after that show of God's glory? Look at what the shepherds did. They returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. What, <laughs> wait, they returned? Where? The sheep pastor? To what? Shepherding, really? To like being shepherds, like aches and pains, sleepless nights, ridicule, social scorn. For some of us, this actually might be the hardest part to believe about the Christmas story. <laughs> We're thinking, how can you go back to sheep grooming and pooper scoopers? How can you go back to shearing and milking when you've seen God incarnate I mean, why not go out on the road, shepherds, right? Rent, heck, buy a tour bus. And just travel all around, schedule a tell-all book tour, create a YouTube channel, be a celebrity or an influencer. Your brush with greatness needs to be shared. You're not a nobody anymore. You're a somebody. Just look at your good fortune points. They're skyrocketing. Better capitalize on it now and quick. But I love what the pastor Zach Eswine says here. says about seeing glory and what it actually led, how that actually led, seeing the glory actually led the shepherds to return. He says it this way, seeing God's glory, hearing his voice, receiving his good news and beholding his love was never meant to deliver us from ordinary life and love in a place. It was meant instead to provide us the means to preserve us there. We return to the same old, same old, but we are changed and we are empowered to dwell there, relishing what we've witnessed of God's grace. You see, participating in God's glory did not and was never meant to deliver these shepherds from the daily grind or the sufferings like roughly two years later, Herod killing every two-year-old male or the Roman occupation, or even religious leaders saying and doing awful things, or subpar church gatherings? And why do we struggle so much with doing and being so ordinary in the daily grind? That's the Christmas question. Why is it not enough to carry with us God's glory and praise there, inside, and sharing it to others that we need to care for, or forgive, or celebrate? One reason is the shape we think our stories are. Here on earth, we have an idea of what shape they're supposed to take. We want a check mark, don't we? (laughs) Nobody's shepherds meet baby Jesus and become somebody's celebrities until they rest in peace. We want the sideways S. Okay, maybe the shepherds lose track of Jesus in his life. But right at that moment when the Roman soldiers are nailing the the, the nails into the hands of Jesus on the cross, the shepherds show up. And it's amazing, right? They administer shepherd to, to unruly sheep justice clubbing their way through the Roman guard. Ah, that's the Hollywood version. Instead, God gives us stories whose shape looks like the coronavirus. Ups and downs, surges and declines more than once in what looks like a series of waves. For us in our lives, we might look like wave after wave of good or bad fortune, sometimes good and bad fortune at the same time. But Jesus came down to earth to become a baby and he went down further even to death only to rise from the grave and to rise further than life, to rise up into glory, where he sits at the right hand of the God, the Father, and he is even more glorious than when he first was sent to earth. But the world was good, and its fortune went bad. But God came and he died to recreate it, and so the world is getting better until what was a good, earthly garden will be a perfect, heavenly city. And what shape is that story? The story of Jesus, the story of this world. It's a check mark. It's a check mark. You see, the reason we love a good check marked shaped story, it means there's over 6,000 Hollywood versions of it, is because the gospel, the story about Jesus and what he's going to do for us in this world is the most satisfying story ever told. The story all of our stories long for. The story all our stories find their fulfillment in. Therefore, all glory be to God on high and on earth be peace. Goodwill henceforth from heaven to men. Begin and never cease. So it's the day after Christmas. And you have, and I have to ask will we bring our excitements and our disappointments to this God child, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger? He is quite the story. And much of it remains to be told. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage and really uh, both incredible news and, how, and getting to see how that incredible news shapes a group of people and really how that shapes us. And I pray that you'd help us to rejoice and to glorify and to praise, but you also would you help us to return. And I don't know what that looks like for us in each of our lives, but you do. And we pray that you do it. Give us the power, give us the wisdom, Give us the perseverance. In your name, Jesus. Amen.